Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from the lands of the Gadigal people. This is ABC News Daily. There's been an extraordinary counter-offensive in the war in Ukraine, with Ukrainian troops successfully retaking 3,000 square kilometres into Keytown in the northeast of the country. But in Russia, the advances have been largely ignored by President Vladimir Putin, whose propaganda machine is in overdrive. Today, New York Times foreign correspondent Valerie Hopkins on life in Moscow. Valerie, I want to get a, a sense from you about what life has been like in Russia since the start of the war. We know in the beginning we did see some resistance, didn't we, to it? But it didn't last long. Absolutely. I think there, there's been a lot of a couple of stages uh, that that people in Moscow have been through, and it's, I, I think a lot of people were in shock. You know, one of the women that I talked to said, "You know, for us, this felt like the end of the world." You know, yes, thousands of people went to protest. I think more than sixteen thousand people were arrested, according to one watchdog. A lot of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, left. I think that that contributed to a real climate of panic and uncertainty and fear. Just explain the rules or the laws that the Kremlin brought in at that time to really restrict the protests. It's quite remarkable, actually. Almost any form of protest, even a Facebook post, is essentially criminalized. There's one law, there's two different elements of that law. One is about discrediting the Russian military. So if you do anything that can be deemed as discrediting the Russian military, that can land you in jail and that can land you up to seven or ten years in jail. If you are spreading fakes, uh, fake news about what the Kremlin calls the special military operation, that also can land you, I think, 15 years uh, in jail. But yes, there are, are countless people who, who try to protest in small ways, whether, you know, writing in a telegram group on social media or on Facebook or, you know, there's also a case of a famous artist who, who was trying to put up prices in the supermarket. You know, she was putting the prices with numbers that corresponded to the amount of people killed. And she also is in prison, I think, facing a year's long sentence. <laughs> But I think that, you know, once uh, May 9, the victory day, when, when people were expecting that Putin would possibly announce a general mobilization or, you know, a further heightening of, of you know, the, put, the, put the country on wartime footing, uh, when that didn't happen and when the summer sun arrived, people sort of got used to the new normal and started trying to figure out how to live with it. So people, I, I suppose, felt a bit better when the sun was out and there's this new normal. I want you to unpack what the new normal looks like for me. I mean, it's really difficult to to try to describe the mood in Moscow because there are so many Moscows and there's so many groups of people, right? There is a group of, I don't know, probably 20, maybe higher percent in Moscow that are deeply, deeply upset. Some of them lost their jobs. Some of them are taking antidepressants. They don't know what is ahead. 
Also something that has come up time and time again in my discussions with people here, frustration with especially the European Union, which has had all of these discussions about banning Russians, uh, canceling Russian visas, not allowing Russians to come uh, on holiday or to study in their countries. But many others, I mean, Russians long ago, you know, made this kind of social contract with Putin that he would steadily improve their quality of life and allow them to live comfortably in a in a modern city with all the technology and all of the brands and all of the you know just as as they could in any other european capital as long as they don't get involved in politics or protests so you know many people are apoliticized people express this feeling that things are are quite normal yes uh prices have gone up yeah we miss Zara or we miss, you know, specific stores, but we can take it. We can move on. You know, the West doesn't want us to have them. Even among those people who who hate this but have chosen to stay, you know, they're trying to figure out how they can meaningfully contribute to their community or build a community because half of their friends left, how to keep some semblance of doing what they were doing before. Mm, so it sounds like they, if not support the war, they accept the war. Look, there are certainly a lot of people who who are enthusiastic supporters. There was a new poll released by the Carnegie Center, actually. And what they found is that about 47 or 50, about half of people said that they definitely supported the actions of the Russian Federation but it's very difficult for them. You know, state TV does not show the full extent of what the Russian military is doing in Ukraine. Mm, okay, so Putin's controlling the news, he's controlling the message. But I mean, what else, Valerie, is he doing to gain this support among the people of Russia, given the atrocities that we're seeing in Ukraine, but also a huge number of Russians are dying in this war? Absolutely. Well, that's also something that uh, the government doesn't speak about. Um, I think that the last time they released any official numbers, it was in the low thousands and it was a long time ago. And that's not something that you will see in the news or see on TV or that gets talked about. So, you know, there is a, a concerted effort that's already been happening for years now of, you know, increasing patriotism, increasing support for the military, but not really speaking about the cost of these wars and, and military campaigns. It's really incredible the lengths that Putin has gone to to control the message, he even on the weekend, as Ukrainian troops were taking back territory from the Russians, he went and opened a, a Ferris wheel in Moscow, just completely ignoring what was going on across the border. And then last month, there was a military celebration in, in the Red Square in Moscow, and you went to that. Describe what that was like. This is a festival that's been happening for almost a decade. Spaskaya Bashnya, this uh, military festival, basically celebrating military might, you know, performing. But there are also events, like another one I went to outside of Moscow uh, at the Patriot Park. It's teaching children how to shoot weapons. 
people of all ages. Children were scrambling over tanks that were, you know, emblazoned with the letter Z and V and O, which are the three letters that kind of represent uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. You know, and everywhere there's this kind of rhetoric, like it was even written on a tank, like smash the fascists. So this is a climate now that some children are growing up in, and on top of that, they are now going to have patriotic education in schools for the first time. Uh, every Monday morning, they have a discussion about what's important, and some of those lessons, it seems, are, are going to be about supporting the Russian military and why the, the invasion of Ukraine was necessary. You know, it is particularly alarming when there's a massive uh, military operation in in neighboring country, when they've attacked the neighboring country and there's no end in sight. Valerie, we did talk about the, the fact that there are Russians, of course, who oppose the war, people who are still in the country. Is there any way that they can protest or make their feelings known? And are they trying to do that still or has that gone completely? I think this is this is the hardest thing uh, for, for many people to grapple with, right? Some people are very brave. You know, I was reading a letter yesterday sent to me from uh, a jail in Moscow written by a young student who was trying to organize protest actions on te- the social networking app Telegram. And uh, the rector, I believe, of the university saw this chat and denounced him to the authorities. Now he's sitting in jail and, you know, he doesn't regret what he's done and he believes it's important um, to speak out. Anybody who undertakes that at this point knows that there are consequences. It's this ultimate powerlessness. Valerie Hopkins is a foreign correspondent with the New York Times based in Moscow. The Kremlin's muted response to the Ukrainian gain in the war has provoked some anger among pro-war commentators on social media, while some Russian state media did eventually report that ground had been lost. This episode was produced by Sydney Peed and Sam Dunn, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer is Stephen Smiley. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again tomorrow. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on the ABC Listen app. To get in touch with the team, email us on abcnewsdaily at abc.net.au. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.